Well, church, it's good to be back in South Florida after my trip to Columbia, South America. When I returned to the U.S. last weekend, I discovered that I had um, brought back an uninvited guest with me, um, a stomach bug that made me quite ill. And I remember when I first started getting sick, I was thankful for two things. Number one, I was not on an airplane. And number two, I was already home. But I do, do want to thank you um, for all of your prayers for me and for our team. We had a remarkable time um, with the pastors, these persecuted pastors and their families in uh, Columbia. And we had over 100 kids who attended the conference. Um, just a great group of kids. About 40 of them were, were teenagers, which is just remarkable. And then we had about 200 pastors and their wives. And this year we had a fairly large team. I've got a picture of our team here that I want to show you. Um, about half of our team was actually working with the children um, during the conference, and these kids had a terrific time. And I have just been so privileged to get to know uh, a number of these people over the last couple of years. Um, if you see um, the front row, I'm standing there sort of in the center of the front, and to my right is a couple. Um, the guy's name is Mauricio, and his wife is Laura, and they are the leaders for the Safe House Ministry in Bogota. They're currently working with three families. And I'm going to tell you a story about that in just a moment. But to my left is a young man with a red shirt, and he is the director um, for Voice of the Martyrs for all of Latin America. And just a remarkable young man in his 30s, and he speaks three languages fluently and can switch from one to the other. He speaks Mandarin, Spanish, and English. And I had the privilege of having him as my translator, and uh, we're becoming really good friends. But one of the things that was really interesting, the facility where we had the conference had a petting zoo, and the kids really loved it. And the first day that we arrived, um, one of the animals had escaped from the petting zoo and, and greeted us a very friendly llama. And the kids were just delighted. And this is actually one of the pastor's wives who was at the conference. But during that week, I heard so many courageous stories from the pastors and stories, remarkable stories from the people that serve on the staff of Voice of the Martyrs. And I wanted to share... Um, a couple of stories with you this morning. The first um, is something that took place on a Friday morning. There's a church in Bogota, and this church is instrumental in reaching out to the families who have lost family members because they've been killed by the communist guerrillas. And what happens is when a pastor is killed, and sometimes it's the pastor's wife, and most recently it's been some of the pastor's children, whenever they're killed, there's a team from Voice of the Martyrs, they call them extraction teams. They go into these, these red zones and they actually take the family out and bring them to Bogota and they hide them in plain sight. And that's what they call these safe houses. It's where they can heal from the tragedy that they've experienced. And so on Friday morning, we went to this church and the couple that I just talked about, uh, Maurizio and Lara, um, they work with these families because there's grief counseling that the church provides. Um, I've... I've known some of the people in these families because I've been there multiple times, but one of the ladies whose husband was murdered, um, she is now on staff at the church, and her life has been dramatically changed. And these, these people have been through incredible um, circumstances, and it is so encouraging to see how God is using the church to transform their lives. And one of the stories um, that we heard, there was a, a young lady there, about 12 years old, her dad had been murdered by the communist guerrillas, and she told us that she wanted to sing a song for us. And so our team is there, and she started to sing, and after just a few moments, um, she started to cry. She couldn't sing anymore, and she started to sob. 
And one of our team members went over and put his arm around her and another team member was just about to pray when something remarkable happened. She started to sing again. And at first it was this tiny little voice. And then it got louder and then it grew stronger. And I could understand a lot of the words that she was singing in Spanish. She was singing about God's eternal purposes and how God was bigger. Just like we were singing this morning. That God is a powerful God and and so many of the people on our team were in tears because we were seeing firsthand the power, the unstoppable power of the gospel. And I thought about a verse in John's gospel. It says this, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And that's exactly what we were witnessing there in Colombia. And, you know, this, this trip, strengthened one of my core convictions, and I've shared this with you before. I really believe with all my heart that the local church is the hope of the world. And the reason the local church is the hope of the world is not only because of the message that we have, which is a message of hope, the local church is the hope of the world because of the people in the local church. And that was reaffirmed this week. I, I had so many conversations um, where I listened to these remarkable stories. And there was one pastor, after I'd done this teaching time, this pastor came up to me and said, Pastor Dudley, can I talk to you? I said, well, sure. And he wanted to tell me about a need that he had. Now, he is a pastor in Colombia, and he pastors a church of about 100 people, but they have no building. They actually meet at an intersection in the street. And they have church services at 7 o'clock on Sunday mornings because it's not hot, it's 7 o'clock. And almost everybody in this church lives um, at a level of extreme poverty. Some of them just live on the street. And he said it's not unusual for people to die on Saturday night. And then we pray for them and do what we can for the family on Sunday morning. And he told me this. He said 60 of the 100 people in this church are children. And I said, that's just a remarkable story. And certainly we'll pray for you, but what is it that we can do? And he said, well, I wish you would be able to talk to somebody at Voice of the Martyrs because we need a tent. If we could just get a tent and set it up, it would protect us from the heat and other people would see that we're, we're praising Jesus and maybe they would come and hear about Jesus too. And so I found somebody there from Voice of the Martyrs and, and they talked together and, and they're gonna work to meet that need. But church, these are people that, that are all in. People who understand what Jesus meant when he said you have to take up your cross and follow me. And I wanna thank you um, for making it possible for me to go. I really have been deeply affected by these opportunities. And I want you to know this. The people there, the pastors, their wives, their kids, want me to tell you something this morning. And what they want to say is thank you. Thank you for your prayers. Um, those prayers mean so much to them because they, they know that they're not alone. And when we have a team that comes from the U.S., they understand that, that there is a big family of God, and that is so true. Because there are people around the world, like I said in my prayer, that are meeting right now, that are worshiping Christ. And when I travel with these, these people that serve with Voice of the Martyrs, I hear stuff you don't hear on Fox News or CNN or anywhere else. These are stories that are actually taking place, and it's stuff from Syria and Pakistan and China and northern India where the gospel is advancing. And I want you to, I want you to be encouraged by this. Every single day, people around this globe are making the choice to follow Jesus Christ. And you and I are a part of a really big family. And the gospel is unstoppable. And we get to be a part of that.
So I want to encourage you with those words this morning. And I also want to do this as I move into the message. Um, we started this series. It's called, um, How Big Is Your God? And we started with this message uh, two weeks ago. God's presence is bigger than my fear. And I saw that lived out before me in the lives of these pastors and their families. They know that God is with them and that God is for them. And we can know that too. And so this morning as we continue that series, I want to address something that I think is so critically important. Because the, the big idea for this series is this. Your view of God's going to determine how you live every single day of your life. The most important belief that you have is what you believe about God. Because what you believe about God determines how you deal with your past. And we all have to deal with the past. What you believe about God determines how you face the future. What you believe about God determines how you deal with the pressures and the problems in your life today. So here's where we're going this morning. If you look at your outline, here's the title of the message. God's wisdom is bigger than my confusion. That's good news. God's wisdom is bigger than my confusion. How many of you have ever been confused? Okay, some of you are confused right now. Life is filled with confusion. And I was thinking about our culture. We are essentially in a state of confusion. And if I were to choose a motto for America today, I think the motto would be this, do what's right for you. We hear that all the time, don't we? Do what's right for you. When it comes to money and what you do with money, do what's right for you. When it comes to sex, do what's right for you. When it comes to raising your kids, do what's right for you. When it comes to any decision, the most important thing is to do what's right for you. And we need to realize that this is nothing new. There's a book of the Bible. It's a book of Judges. And the last verse in that book says this. It says, in those days, Israel had no king, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Just do what's right for you. Now, let me ask you a really important question, okay? Um, how many of you have ever made a bad choice or done something really stupid, made a bad decision that you later regretted? Raise your hand, please. Raise it really high. Okay, good. I don't mean good in the sense that you made a bad choice. Good that you're being honest about raising your hand. Here's a follow-up question. How many of you have ever known somebody that was really smart? You know, somebody that had like a high IQ or did well on the SATs or they went to college or whatever, but they just had some challenges handling life, maybe, you know, negotiating relationships or making wide choices with money or dealing with anger. Um, how many of you have ever known a smart person to do something really dumb? All right, now here's a story. It's kind of a goofy story, but it makes a good point. It goes like this. There was an airplane one time with three people on board, a pilot, a boy scout, and the smartest man in the world. This guy had the highest IQ of anybody on the planet. Well, the plane develops engine trouble, and it's going to crash, and there's a problem. There are three people on board and only two parachutes. So the smartest man in the world grabs one of the parachutes, and he says to the pilot and the Boy Scout, hey, I'm really sorry about this, but I have a responsibility. I am the smartest man in the world, and the world needs my brain, so I've got to survive. So he jumps out of the plane with one of the parachutes. Well, the pilot turns to the Boy Scout and says, son, uh, I've lived a long, full life, and you've got your whole life ahead of you, so I'll, take, uh, I'll just take my chances. Here's the other parachute. I'll go down with the plane. Well, at that point, the Boy Scout says, well, just relax, Captain, because the world's smartest man just jumped out of the plane with my backpack. <laughs> Sometimes really smart people make dumb choices. Today I want you to think with me about a really, really important topic, and that topic is wisdom. Now the Bible has a lot to say about wisdom, and I want to begin with this 
definition. This is really a biblical definition of wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the combination of knowledge and skill that enables you to make choices that honor God and benefit you. It is a combination of knowledge and skill that enables you to make choices that honor God and benefit you. Wisdom is the ability to take God's principles and apply them to practical situations in your life. Wisdom is not only knowing the right thing to do, wisdom is knowing the best thing to do with finances, with relationships, with career decisions, with health decisions, with all kinds of decisions. And look at this next question on your outline. What are the benefits of wisdom? Well, here's the first one. Wisdom brings stability when you face the storms of life. Wisdom brings stability when you face the storms of life. These words of Jesus may be familiar to many of you when he said this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like what kind of man? A wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. You may be going through a storm in your life right now, just like that. Yet, it did not fall. Why? Because it had its foundation on the rock. Now, this statement by Jesus is actually a story. It comes at the end of a long teaching that he did called the Sermon on the Mount. And if you look in the Bible at the Sermon on the Mount, it's found in Matthew's Gospel, chapters 5, 6, and 7. If you look at that sometime, you see these little paragraph headings in your Bible, and it basically summarizes the different things that Jesus taught about in the Sermon on the Mount. Things like anger, adultery, divorce, revenge, loving your enemies, giving to the needy, prayer, worry, judging others, all kinds of topics. And what we see is that the teaching of Jesus is extremely practical. It's where we live. So let me ask you this. Do the principles that Jesus taught ever change? No. The principles that he taught 2,000 years ago still apply today. Why is that important? Because since these principles don't change, they can bring stability to our lives when we do what? When we actually put them into practice. Now here's another benefit of wisdom. This is on your outline too. Wisdom protects you from the consequences of bad choices. Wisdom protects you from the consequences of bad choices. For example, somebody who is wise does not allow their dog to sleep in their hammock. Because this is what might happen. Wise people just don't do that. I had a lot more pictures that I could show you, but I just picked one. Look at this Bible verse. It points out this fact that wisdom protects us. It says this, for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Notice this next statement. Discretion will what? Protect you and understanding will do what? It will guard you. Now this is quite fascinating. The book of Proverbs was required reading for young men who wanted to serve as leaders in the nation of Israel and the connection was clear. If you want to be a good leader, you need what? What do you think you need? Wisdom. You need wisdom. In fact, many of these Proverbs were written by the wisest man who ever lived. Does anybody know his name? Solomon. Now, why was Solomon so wise? And here's the answer. Because when he became king, God said, Solomon, ask me for anything you want. And what did Solomon ask for? Did he ask for money or power or fame? No, he asked God for what? For wisdom. And God said, Solomon, I'm so pleased that you asked me for wisdom. I'm going to give you my wisdom to be a good king. Now, as you read through the book of Proverbs, you see some recurring themes when it comes to wisdom. 
One is this, that a wise person is very careful about choosing their closest friends. Now, why is that important? Because our closest friends have significant influence in our lives. Isn't that true? I was thinking about this recent trip that I took to Columbia, South America, and some of the people that I travel with now, I've been on, on multiple trips with them, and we stay in touch throughout the year, and, and we're developing some, some close friendships. And I realized that these people are influencing me. And think about it. When you're around people that are really courageous, what's happening to you? You're becoming more courageous. When you're around people that are really committed to following Jesus, what happens to your level of commitment? Yeah, it just goes up because you're influenced by these people. And so I want you to think about this. Think about the people that you have chosen to be your closest friends and think about their influence in your life. Are those relationships strengthening your commitment to Christ? Or are those relationships weakening your commitment to Christ? Now, church, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't have non-Christian friends. We need to build bridges to people, the people that God brings into our life. God wants us to build those bridges of influence so that we can tell people about Jesus. But here's the reality. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But he never wanted the salt to stay clumped together in the salt shaker, right? We need to develop friendships with other people. But here's the point. The closest relationships that you have will deeply influence you. So be wise about who you choose to be your closest friends. Now here's another way that wisdom can protect you. And this is a big theme in the book of Proverbs. And it's really practical. Wisdom can protect you from giving in to sexual temptation. Now, there's all kind of warnings that you read about sexual temptation in the book of Proverbs, and a lot of them are directed toward young men. And Solomon's saying, look, you play with fire, you're going to get burned. He often says, look, when you encounter sexual temptation, here's the best strategy. Run. Run away. Now, we live in a world where we are surrounded day after day with sexual temptation. And here's, here's what we sometimes do. Let's say that the stage here this level between the stage and this other smaller stage. Let's say that this line right here is the line between temptation and sin. So if I'm up here, you know, I'm dealing with, with sexual temptation, but if I cross the line and come down here, what's happened? Yeah, I, I've sinned. I've basically rejected what God said, and I've done what I want to do. So here's what we, we sometimes do when it comes to sexual temptation. We know it's there. It, it's around us all the time. And sometimes we do this. We want to see how close we can get to the line without going over it. Have you ever done this? Am I the only one? And so we go, you know, if I stay up here, I'm okay, but man, I want to see what's going on over there. And what happens is we get right next to falling over the, the edge of the cliff. And here's the reality. And we know this. That is a slippery slope. A very slippery slope. And here's, here's an example. Let's say that there's this... Um, this program on Showtime or HBO. And you know that that program has got some inappropriate material, stuff that you probably shouldn't watch. And you say to yourself, you know, I'm going to start watching it anyway because if I need to, I can just turn it off or change the channel. And then you don't. And afterwards, you say to yourself, you know, the wise thing to do would have been to never start watching the show. Now, church, here's, here's something that I want to say. Um, sexual temptation is something we, we struggle with. Um, sexual issues are something that's, uh, 
inundated our culture. And there's so much confusion. And God doesn't want us to be confused. He wants us to understand his principles for our sexual lives. And if you're struggling with issues, with sexual temptation, with pornography, with, with any of these things, let me point you to a really helpful resource. We have a partnership with a ministry. It's called Harvest USA. And I know the man who founded this ministry over 30 years ago. Um, his wife was a childhood friend of my wife, Chris. Um, we recently spent some time with the two of them. And if you go to their website, just Google Harvest USA. In fact, we've got information in the lobby here. They have got the most outstanding resources. And if you're a parent and you want to know how to talk to your kids about these issues, there's resources there for you as well. But I encourage you to do that because what we need to understand are God's principles for every area of our life because that helps us become wise. Now, here's another benefit of wisdom. Wisdom can enable you to help others become wise. Wisdom can enable you to help others become wise. Look at these verses, again, from the book of Proverbs. Come and listen to my counsel. I'll share my heart with you and make you what? Make you wise. And these are the words from a father to his son. My child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. And what's the result? Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God. One of the most important goals that I have for my life is to grow in wisdom. And here's why. I want to be able to share that wisdom with other people. When my wife Chris comes to me and says, honey, can you help me figure this out? Can you, can you give me a suggestion for what I should do? Now I could say, uh, I have no clue what to tell you. Um, you're on your own. Hey, hey, I got an idea. Do what's right for you. Hope it works out. What I want to be able to do is say, you know what? I think there's something here in God's word that would give you some wisdom for this decision you need to make. And when my kids come to me and say, Dad, what should I do? When my grandkids say, Grandpa, what should I do? When you come to me as your pastor and say, what should I do in this situation? What should I do with my kids? What should I do with this relationship? What should I do in my marriage? I don't want to just say, hey, do what's right for you. I want to say, this is what God's word says. This is where we find wisdom. And when I'm coaching pastors here in the U.S., when I'm talking to pastors in other parts of the world, and they say, Pastor Dudley, what should I do? I want to have wisdom to share with them. And see, that's true for every single one of us. We have opportunities, don't we, throughout the day, throughout the week, where people might ask for our input, and we have the opportunity to influence their thinking and to influence their choices, wouldn't it be great if we could give them wise counsel based on principles that never change? That's one of the great motivations and one of the great benefits of wisdom. But the question is, how does that happen? How do you become a wise person rather than a foolish person? And that's the next question. How can I become a wise person rather than a foolish person? And let me begin with, with this statement. Here's why that's so important. Because a wise person makes choices that honor God and benefit them. And a foolish person does just the opposite. Now, in the Bible, there is a critical distinction between the person who is wise and the person who is foolish. And a big part of that distinction is this, a person's view of authority. The late George Carlin, how many of you are familiar with that name? Comedian George Carlin. One time he was asked, if he still supported the motto of the 1960s, challenge authority, and this is what he said. No, 
My new position is this, destroy authority. Now think about that. There's been this ongoing deterioration of respect for authority in our culture for decades and it's influenced how we view the authority of God in our lives. There's a man named Timothy Whitmer and he says this, though we pay great lip service to faith in God, the bottom line of our culture is not the Lord is my shepherd. The bottom line of our culture is this, I am my own shepherd. And he points out how this is seen in the world of advertising. And I think this is really interesting. How many of you know the slogan for Nike? Does anybody know the slogan for Nike? If you don't, now you do. Just do it. Now, certainly that could have a negative or a positive connotation. But the way that many people interpret this is you don't need to think about it. You don't need to worry about the consequences of your choices. Just do it. Or how about this from Burger King? Sometimes you gotta break the rules because you get to figure out what's right for you. Here's one of my favorite. I don't have a picture, but it's from Easy Spirit Shoes. They promise a shoe, listen to this, a shoe that conforms to your foot so that you don't have to conform to anything. Whoa, that's pretty cool. I don't have to conform to anything, really? Or how about this one? Neiman Marcus encourages customers to relax because it says there are no rules here. Can you imagine going into Neiman Marcus and you grab this article of clothing and you start heading out the door and the security guard says, hey, excuse me, did you pay for that? You go, no, of course not. He says, well, you can't do that. And you go, well, wait, 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 there's no rules here. I can do anything I want. And you know what? It's just right for me. You know, here's the reality. Advertising phrases might sound good for marketing purposes, but they don't necessarily work in real life. But God's principles do. And so let me point you to this principle. This is so important. Take God seriously. If you want to be wise, take God seriously and realize that he is the source of the wisdom you need. And this is what we find in the book of Proverbs again, the fear of the Lord. And here's how I often think of that phrase, the fear of the Lord. That means respecting God and taking him really seriously. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? It's wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And this is from Proverbs chapter 2. It says, for the Lord gives what? He gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Now here's another way that you can become a wise person rather than a foolish person. Make the choice to follow Jesus and put his teaching into practice in your life. Make the choice to follow Jesus and put his teaching into practice in your life. I want to show you a passage in the book of 2 Timothy. Timothy was a young man, a young leader in the church, and the Apostle Paul, um, a follower of Christ in the first century, was his mentor. And this is what Paul writes to Timothy. He says this, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it. Now, Paul's talking about Timothy's mother and grandmother who had spiritual influence in his life. And he says this, And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, and notice this next statement, which are able to make you what? What's the next word? Wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's saying the wise choice, in fact, the wisest choice that any of us can make is to follow Jesus. And following Jesus means that you're willing to put his principles into practice in your life. Now think for a minute about the bad news. We talk here a lot about the bad news and the good news. <clears throat> the bad news involves bad choices right? 
And the question is, you know, how many of us have made bad choices? I think we already settled that earlier in the service when you raised your hand. We all have. And here's what's, here's what's important to realize. When the Bible talks about being foolish or being a fool, the idea is not that you're just ignorant or uneducated. The word fool applies to somebody who makes bad moral choices. A fool is somebody who doesn't take God seriously. A fool who says, you know what, God? I know you want me to go this way, but I'm going to go that way. There's a classic verse that says, the fool has said in their heart, there is no God. And so it's when we become self-involved and self-centered. It's when we decide that we're going to go our own way. The Bible says, you are being foolish. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, we're compared to an animal. What kind of animal are we compared to? Who knows? Sheep. Sheep. And what do sheep do? They do dumb things. Sheep wander away. A sheep has no homing instinct. If it gets lost, it will die unless somebody comes and rescues it. And friends, here's, here's the thing. We are like sheep. I'm a sheep. I have made bad choices and bad decisions. Some really, really bad decisions. And because of that, I, I came to understand that I was separated from God. Because God's holy and God's just. He can't just look the other way and say, it's no big deal. The Bible says that, that somebody's got to pay for every sin I've ever committed. And so when I was wandering from God, when I was pursuing my own purpose, you know what God did? He came and tracked me down. And that is the, the beauty of the gospel, that God comes after people who have made foolish choices. That's the story of redemption, that, that God the Father sends God the Son, Jesus Christ, to earth, and he becomes a human being. And here's a remarkable thing, and it's just, it's, it's almost unbelievable. Did Jesus ever make a foolish choice? Never. He lived a life of extraordinary wisdom and then he says to us, hey, I'll tell you what, I will take the blame for every foolish, wrong, sinful thing you have ever done and I will give you credit for my perfect life. That's the offer of the cross. Do you see that? That when Jesus dies, God says, I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to put your sin on my son and punish him instead of you. The wrath that you deserve, I will pour out on my son and he will die in your place and then I'm gonna raise him to life and, and here's the deal, if you trust Jesus and follow him, you can have a new life. And friends, I will tell you this, the wisest decision I ever made in my whole life was the decision to follow Jesus Christ. And that's why every time we have these beach baptisms, I, I just get so excited, I do. I was speaking to some people after first service. In fact, if you're being baptized today, um, would you come and meet with me after the service? I just want to talk to you for a few minutes. But this is an opportunity for people to say, look, I've decided to follow Jesus and I want to take his teaching, his principles that never change and I want to live that way. And friends, that's what it takes to become wise because think about it. If you take what Jesus taught about money, if you take what Jesus taught about loving your enemies, about marriage, about anger and anxiety and all these different things, the more consistently you put those things into practice, what's going to happen? You're going to grow in wisdom and you're going to become more like Jesus, which is what God wants for, for every one of us. And that leads us to this, this last way to become a wise person. is simply this, ask God for wisdom every day. When you wake up, say, God, I need wisdom. And why do you need wisdom? Because you have no idea what's going to happen in the course of the day. Isn't that true? Now, here's, here's a classic verse on wisdom. And, and the context is this. Um, this is in the book of James. And James is talking about trials and tribulations and all these hardships. And it's in that situation that he says this. 
if any of you lacks wisdom, because the assumption is we do, don't know what to do, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But then James qualifies it and says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. I want to encourage you to do this. As you start your day, say, God, I don't know what's going to happen today, but you do. And I know that I'm going to be making some decisions and choices throughout this day. So would you give me your wisdom? Would you help me understand the best thing to do? And here's something else. When you're praying for wisdom, pray for courage because they go together. It's like a hand in a glove. Wisdom provides you the knowledge of the best thing to do, but courage enables you to actually do it. So pray for wisdom and pray for courage. And church, listen. When you're praying for me and you're thinking, what should I pray for Pastor Dudley? Pray that God will give me wisdom and courage. Let me just close with this thought. Ever seen one of those maps at the mall and it has um, the layout of the stores or maybe in a shopping center and there's this red dot and there are three words, you are here. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, it's good when you get lost or can't find a store. I want you to think about this. What if this morning we could put a map of your life up on the big screen. You know, the day you were born and the day that you will eventually die. It's just a road map because we're all on a journey, right? And there was a big red dot and it says, you are here. April 17th, 2016, you are here. Now, have you got that image in your mind? Okay, that's your life. There's a kind of a timeline. Here's what we need to realize. Where we are, is largely because of the choices we have made in the past. Now, I understand that there are things that happen in our lives that we can't control. I get that. But I also know the Bible tells us that so much of our present life is because of the past choices we've made. Where we are today relationally, where we are financially, where we are spiritually is largely because of choices that we made in the past. So here's the question. As you look at this map of your life and you think about moving to the right, where are you gonna be a week from now? Where are you gonna be a month from now, a year from now, 10 years from now? And here's the reality. Where you're gonna be down the road is largely dependent on the choices that you make. And so, church, my prayer for you is this. I really want you to make good choices so that you end up right where God wants you to be. And that's the prayer that I have for myself as your pastor. And as a spiritual leader of my family, I want to make really wise choices so that I end up down the road exactly where God wants me to be. And so the question is, how do we do that? God's given us the answer. And here it is. Take him seriously. Take God seriously and realize that he has the wisdom that you need to make those good choices. The second thing is this. Make the choice to follow Jesus and put his teaching into practice in your life. And here's the third thing. Ask and keep on asking. For God to give you wisdom every single day. In fact, why don't we do that right now? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? And listen, as we, um, as we pray together right now, I want you to do this. I want you to think about what you need wisdom for right now. You know, maybe there's something 
If you're a parent with your kids and you're not sure what to do, maybe it's something that at work, it could be with your finances, it could be a career decision, it could be something at school, your neighbors, whatever it is. Take just a moment and think about what you need wisdom for. Father, this morning, I want to thank you, first of all, that you've promised that if we would come to you, even now, God, and pray for wisdom, that you will provide that wisdom for us. And God, you provide that wisdom through your word, you provide it through your Holy Spirit, you provide it through other people that we can go to and ask them, what should we do? But Father, I pray right now that for every person who's, who's asking for wisdom, that you would provide it. And Lord, you said this, that when we ask, we have to believe and not doubt so God, I, I pray for, for our hearts because Lord, it's hard not to doubt. I pray that you would create such a strong faith in you that we could be assured that you'll guide us. I know you want to, God, but I pray that we'll want to be guided and that when you guide us, that we'll want to do what you've shown us to do. And so Lord, as we sing this last song, I pray that it would simply be this, a statement of faith. God, that we would express what we believe about you, that you're the God who is faithful, that Jesus is the one who came to give us a new life, that you can be trusted. Because God, when we believe that, when we have that faith, you will give us the wisdom that we seek. And so Father, right now, please answer our prayers. Honor your promise. Give us the wisdom that only comes from Christ. For we pray in his name, amen.